Thanks to our good friends at Cryer Malt, this is Beer as a Conversation. G'day beer lovers, my name is Pete Mitchum and as you all know, I love a good beer and a good conversation. When I can combine both, well, I'm as happy as a dog with two tails. If that dog happens to be a 10-week-old Samoyed pup and the beer a perfectly crafted Kolsch, well, colour me extra happy. An Easter family driving holiday to Adelaide led me to reaching out to a few local friends for some must-see recommendations. Without exception, all included Smiling Samoyed Brewery. I was warmly welcomed by Kate Henning and brewing partner Simon Dunstan, along with assistant brewer Maddie, who has risen from the ranks of their hospitality staff to learn the ropes. If her early efforts are any indication, well, then Simon's a pretty good mentor and the beer list is in good hands. I caught up in the early morning with Kate Henning, who is the co-founder and co-owner of Smiling Samoy Brewery in Maiponga on South Australia's Flurio Peninsula. It's a reasonably small brewery in a fairly large but very well-run venue in a very small town with not much else to offer than great locally made beer. So how do you attract custom outside of your locals? How do you offer more than just beer? And how do you adapt when a public access reservoir opens its gates to fun seekers right next door on the weekend of my visit? Kate and I cover a wide variety of issues and I'm sure there are some interesting takes on packaging, growth strategy and beer awards that will get the conversation going amongst groups of both beer lovers and beer brewers alike. Uh, I also got to meet the very popular brewery Ambassadogs, Kent, named after the East Kent Goldings hop variety, and Hoppy, named after, uh, well, all the other hop varieties. And I'd like to also thank Angela, who made all the arrangements for my visit. Enjoy the conversation. Kate Henning from Smiling Samoyed Brewery, thank you very much for joining us on Beer is a Conversation. Thanks for having us. Now, tell us through, walk us through the story. First of all, I guess most, um, a lot of people will have, will have heard of Smiling Samoyed, but for the few who haven't, uh, talk us through the history of the brewery. So I bought my husband a home brew kit, which is a fairly common story for starting a brewery um, yeah, many moons ago now, and um, that quickly escalated to having a whole room in our house that was dedicated to brewing, fermentation fridge for taps, um, and our friends really liked the beer and said we should brew it commercially. So for some reason we decided that was a good idea, and a few years later ended up in my ponga starting a brewery. So what were you doing before you allowed your presumably uh, drunken and very appreciative friends, uh, who, were, who were presumably also not paying for the beer at that point, so it's very easy for them to say you should do this commercially, but what were you doing before that? So I was a lawyer and my husband was a software engineer, so quite, quite different to being brewers. Has that come in handy though? Has, has your previous life either come back to haunt you or have you found that it's come in handy at any stage along the development of the brewery? Oh, it's definitely come in handy. Um, yeah, there's always legal issues that come up here and there, so it's good for me to be able to yeah, quickly research them without spending any money on it. And um, Simon's actually developed a whole software um, system for managing our brews within the brewery, so we're very lucky to have a bespoke yeah, software system in there that works perfectly for us. Now, Kate, 2012, you moved in, and August 2013, the, the first years uh, came out. What's changed in the last, so say, five years or so? So we started with three 1,200 litre fermenters and we thought that would see us um, through until round about now. Um, 
but we now have 10 tanks and all of the rest of the tanks, so the other seven that we've added in are all um, double batch size, so um, 2,400 litres we can fit into those. Um, so yeah, it's got a lot busier, a lot quicker than we thought, which has been fantastic. We also, um, I think, never never expected to start a restaurant, um, but being in Maiponga, which is a bit of a drive from Adelaide, people would like to have some snacks as well. So we started with snacks and, um, yeah, the the food side of the business has really grown as well. So we have um, a full kitchen now too. And so obviously um, the food aspect as well as the uh, the hospitality and then the beer does make it, because it's, it's, without being unkind, um, Maiponga's not really sort of, you know, I guess a, a craft destination. And to be fair, from what I've seen apart from the market, there's not a lot else um, to do here. So do you find, I guess you've got a bit of a monopoly on, um, you know, the, the visitation rights for Maiponga? <laughs> uh yeah, there's probably not a lot of people who were coming through Maiponga before we started the brewery. Um, it is on the sort of main trail through to the ferry to Kangaroo Island. Um, so we do get a little bit of traffic from that. But um, a lot of our um, customers are on day trips from Adelaide. So they come out specifically to have lunch with us and um, have a nice day. We've got beautiful views over the Maiponga Reservoir. And um, then they yeah, go home or head down further into the Flurio Coast, see Normanville and um, Deep Creek Coast conservation park that type of thing and we are very fortunate that this week the Maiponga Reservoir has opened to public access as well. Which uh, I'm guessing uh, just from chatting off air to you before is going to pose some challenges uh, in terms of car parking and management and that sort of thing but it certainly um, seems to be one of those things that's going to bring a lot of people a lot more people um, to the brewery. Are you able to if you know we we often speak to brewers and say, look, if you can wave the magic wand and all of a sudden this 5% of, you know, craft or independent beer uh, drinkers becomes 10%, you know, could you double capacity overnight? We can, we can double it. We can't do much more than that. So we um, put in a bottling line last year and we increased our production, um, yeah, pretty much overnight from about 40,000 litres a year to 110,000 litres a year. And we have the capacity to go over 200,000 litres a year um, by having extra shifts and that type of thing in the brewery. Um, so, yep, double we can do. Past that, we need to look at a pretty major expansion. In terms of the licence takeaways so can people come down have a couple because it's one of those things I guess that the wineries have really had on us you you, you, you can't all come down you know drive down we're about an hour from Adelaide hours drive from Adelaide um, have a few beers somebody at the end of the day has got to stop or just have a you know a sample so you can do takeaways yep absolutely takeaways um, so um, I think yeah all of our beers are um Package into bottles and into kegs now. Um, sometimes they run out in bottles or run out in kegs before each other. Um, but yeah, all available in bottles to take away. And we also have a range of wholesale outlets in um, Adelaide and on the Fleurier Peninsula. Conscious decision to go with like updating the bottling line. Did you ever consider perhaps looking at cans? We, yep, we did look at cans. Um, we really liked bottles and the feedback. We have some really high-end um, restaurants that stock our products and they much prefer bottles um, so that was an influencing factor for us. We also really like just being able to see that your fuel heights are right in bottles and for us 
um, at our scale in terms of putting in the lab equipment that you need to do cans right. Um, bottles were a much more sensible decision for us. Um, we've been getting amazing dissolved oxygen, like really, really low readings um, from the bottling line. And um, last year we were lucky enough to be champion small brewery at the Royal Adelaide Beer and Cider Awards. And um, we entered kegs and bottles and all of our bottles got higher. Um, high scores than our kegs did, which is pretty amazing. So we, uh, you know, we looked really hard at what bottling line we were going to put in and we are really happy with the technical abilities of it. And it's interesting, yeah, that you talk about that um, resistance by particularly, uh, and it doesn't even need to be an upper end restaurant, but just plonking a can on a table versus a bottle, there, there definitely seems to be a, a bit of resistance to that. And I guess the other thing is that any restaurant regardless of their size, can take on a, a case, a half a dozen, a dozen whatever bottles. Um, but presumably, I'm guessing around this area, there aren't a lot of taps. No, yeah, taps are, I think, around the country, taps are a problem to get. Um, we have, yeah, a number of venues that um, you know, have craft beer taps that they rotate through. So um, we have a few, but yeah, there's not that many that we're consistently on tap at, but definitely bottles are much easier to get into venues. Out of interest, those taps, are they in, you know, your traditional sort of, you know, village pub or the corner pub kind of thing, or are they, are we seeing in, in this sort of tourist area, more of the, I guess, artisan or craft, you know, provador style uh, venues opening up, or is it is it the old style pubs? Well, even, even the old-style pubs are um, are coming around to having craft beers, and I think particularly in a touristy area, um, and wanting to show off their local produce. Uh, in South Australia, we've got an Eat Local movement, which isn't quite a drink local movement, but um, it you know, once you get the Eat Local movement and philosophy in, then venues start looking more for um, other local products that they can put um, on their menus as well. So that's been great. I must admit, when I drove up I saw the Eat Local sign and I automatically thought oh yeah I, I thought beer as well whereas if you see food and wine you often feel that you know by extension beer is is excluded so I, I guess Eat Local at least yeah it does you always want to have a drink of some sort. Yeah we've had um, a funny situation where we've had there's wine awards in South Australia and then there's food awards and for some reason beer counted as food and it just really <laughs> didn't make any sense for me, but they've just changed it this year to Food and Beverage Awards. So, yep. yeah, and I did. Yeah, uh, I met. Um, I'm, I'm so embarrassed now. I can't remember her name, but she popped up. And she organises the um, the competition manager for the beer and cider awards. So it's interesting that I think Adelaide, South Australia, is the only ones that do beer and cider as a combined uh, sort of thing. Have you guys ever made a cider? No, no ciders yet. No, no plans to. No, no immediate plans, I wouldn't say never, but yeah, focusing on the beers for the moment um, and we do stock, so we stock wine and cider and spirits in our bar as well ourselves and um, yeah, pick local products that we like, so we've got um, Hills Apples and Pear Cider um, available here. And just speaking to Maddie, who's your assistant brewer, um, who's just pulled together a, which I'm lo looking forward to tasting, uh, a ginger beer, which is a beer infused with ginger rather than a, a ginger ale. Was that, uh, I mean, for me, that's a nice alternative to cider. I would always prefer, if I, if I need a break from beer, I'd love to have a beer with ginger because that spice just, I, I find it really palate cleansing. Um, was that driven by, I guess, the brewers wanting to do something a bit different or did it come from the customers saying, wouldn't mind having, you know, something a bit different? 
Uh, that was 100% driven by Maddie. So she was very, very passionate about making a ginger beer. Maddie started as a bartender. And so when we were able to have a full-time position in the brewery, she was our obvious choice. And even before she was officially in the brewery, she was carrying on about making a ginger beer. Um, being that bit younger than Simon and I, I think, it's a bit fashionable for the younger people. And... Um, yeah, so as soon as she was in the brewery, we said, well, this is going to be your first beer. And um, it's taken her about a year since starting in the brewery to develop the recipe, do some pilot batches and, yeah, then get it into full-scale production. So yeah, super proud of her for coming up with it. And um, obviously Simon and I have consulted on the type of ginger beer that we wanted, but um, from the beginning we are all on the same page that we wanted it to be um, malt-based and we wanted it to have a really true spicy ginger kick to it and not too sweet. Looking forward to trying that one. Um, and look, it's good to see, I guess, um, just having a look at the taps, you've got um, four beers that are the, the core range. When you opened the doors, did you have those four core range or how did it start and how has it evolved? Uh, yep, so pretty much they are the same core four um, that we started with. We um, started with the 12 Paws, which is named after uh, the three original dogs that we had uh, when we opened the brewery, and that's a, a pale ale. Um, and then the Kolsch, so easy drinking, great for a tourist destination where people aren't necessarily um, as up to date with what craft beer trends are. They want something that's like a lager, so send them to the Colch and it's easy, approachable drinking. Um, then the um, IPA and the Dark Ale in the range as well. They have gone through iterations and changes. The most notable probably was the 12 Pours, which started as a Nelson Savin hopped beer. And then um, year two or three, we couldn't get any Nelson Savin because it was all under contract. So that took um, about a year to get back to the flavour profile that we wanted. So we had uh, quite a few batches of Where's Nelson come out um, in the interim while we were getting 12 pours back to the right specs. Um, but yeah, the, the core ranges stayed pretty much pretty much the same. And then I noticed looking across at the other four taps that you've got at the moment, you've got seasonals, one-offs, limited releases, um, and a lot of them uh, feature local ingredients. Is that an important thing for you, I guess, as embracing part of the, the region, but also, I guess, that, that whole thing of, you know, eat local? Yeah, absolutely. We do try to source um, local local ingredients as much as we can. It can be a bit hard. Um, we have a fresh hop ale at the moment that uses um, Adelaide Hills hops that were picked that day and straight into the brew. Um, but South Australia doesn't grow a lot of hops, so mostly they come from interstate or overseas. Um, and, yeah, when we do a seasonal one, um, like we've got the cherry wheat beer at the moment, then definitely we look for um, seasonally available local fruits to use. Now, I know some breweries and feral jumps to mind in particular when they wanted to do, uh, when they first did the Watermelon Warhead, there was kind of a, a barter exchange of, um, you know, uh, you give me the ingredients and, and I'll look after you with some beers. Does that sort of thing work with the with the local producers around here or, or does it have to go through sort of a more, you know, standardised um, commercial practices? Um, being being a lawyer, I tend to just go pretty standard. Um, so, yeah, we have we bought the cherries from Flurio Cherries and they're going to buy their beers and, yeah, it's all, it's all above board and everyone knows where they are. I think that's pretty easy. So is there a nice um, ability to 
through that, I guess, link, um, you know, when we'll, we'll take your cherries and then they'll want to sort of, well, we, we want to be able to sort of share the beer yeah. afterwards. Yeah, so um, they uh, they have a licence, so they have some cherry wines and things over there as well and um, they wanted to get beers in, so we're the closest brewery to them, so they've had our beers um, for a while now, so we... Yeah, see them quite regularly, so it was pretty easy to have that conversation about can we grab some cherries and make this beer and they're like, we definitely want to have some when it's made and uh, some of the guys uh, from Fleurio Cherries came down for the brew day as well, which was, yeah, really nice. And I know with some of the breweries, um, it's a really nice way too of um, the producer being able to move some of that stock that is not, you know, table grade or, you know, supermarket uh, grade um, it must be a nice feeling too to be able to, I guess, you know, just, just know that, that that sort of stuff, they're getting a fairer price for something that at the end of the day can be used, utilised um, without having to sort of, um, you know, either plough it back into the ground or, or, you know, send it off for pig food or whatever. Yeah, um, and I think they they use sort of the seconds cherries in ice creams and that type of thing anyway. But, yes, yeah, it's, it's nice to have it being yeah, made into a different product. Now, we've left till last probably, I guess, the... Um, the biggest angle, the marketing angle um, of Smiling Samoid, which is the Smiling Samoids. Um, talk us through how the name came about. So did the, the name came and then you thought we'd better get some dogs to match this or were the dogs already here when you decided to take over the brewery? And just how important are they as brewery ambassadors? So I think the, uh, the home brew kit did come before the Samoids, um, but yeah, we were definitely um, yeah, backyard brewers um, at the time that the Samoids came into our lives. The home brewery, as it, as it grew, it came to be known as Smiling Samoid. And that, uh, right, right on cue, a truck's turned up and the, uh, the alarm's gone off. That's hoppy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, um, the home brew kit comes along, we haven't got the Samoids yet, but before we go commercial, the Samoids are a part of the family. Uh, talk us through how the naming and um, the branding and then the brewery ambassadoring of the dogs came about. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we, um, we you know, thought about different names, but Smiling Samoid was just one that was very authentic to us, I guess, and we wanted to be able to have our dogs at work with us. So if you name your brewery after your dogs, you can have, bring the dogs to work with you. And um, then... Just before we started brewing commercially, we had someone ring us up and say that there was another, there was a Samoid that needed rescuing very urgently, um, an older dog that had lost her, her owner had gone into a nursing home and the dog that she'd been living with forever had had a stroke and she was absolutely beside herself and needed to be rehomed with other Samoids ASAP. So we put our hands up for that and, yeah, just a couple of months before we started brewing commercially, we ended up with three Samoids and that's where the name Twelve Paws came from for the pale ale. Um, and, yeah, the dogs have been over here when we were working the bar ourselves. The dogs were here with us. Then, um, sadly, we lost that rescue dog. She passed away about a year after. She was quite old and... Then we got another phone call that said that there was a Samoid that needed to um, be adopted from the RSPCA and that was quite the process because people were <laughs> lining up to get her. Um, but we were brewing um, a tribute beer to the first 
Samoyed that passed away pop it and we got a phone call from the RSPCA saying that our application had been successful to get Hoppy. And so she was a six-month-old rescue Samoyed. She's grown up here and she's off lead and takes her job as ambassador dog very seriously. Always wants to come on time for work. If we tell her she has to have a day off, she's not very happy about that. Um, yeah, and people definitely come down to see her. Uh, now, it's not just the dogs that are unhappy if they're not here. Um, sometimes, if, if the dog's not here for whatever reason, whether it's, it's just too busy, like you were saying, you had a, just a mass of, of tourist buses come through and the decision was made for the welfare of the dogs, you know, perhaps today's not a good day to be around, or I guess if it's, a, you know, 43 degree, degrees in the shade, it's, it's not fair for the dogs to, to sort of be working. Um, and that doesn't go down so well sometimes <laughs> with the punters. Yeah, they're disappointed if they've come down and um, the dogs aren't around, but um, the bar staff are good at explaining that to people. So, yeah, this last Saturday was, yeah, quite, quite busy with lots of buses and Hoppy isn't such a fan of buses because being a little dog and having 40 people descend upon you and all want to pat you can be quite intimidating. So, yeah, the bar staff made the decision that she should be at home, which she was, and then um, just let, let people know that it, was, it wasn't a good day for her to be around. And Kate, for those who don't know Samoids, are Samoids naturally smiling or was smiling Samoid just you needed to, you know, Samoid Brewery just didn't quite work, you wanted that alliteration or are they just naturally a smiley kind of dog? Yeah, absolutely, just a smiley kind of dog. So they're known as smiling Samoids, yeah, even before the brewery. Um, and yeah, they have a yeah, lovely personality, lovely friendly personality, love people, um, yeah, really friendly with other dogs. Um, it's very, very rare that you find a Samoyed that's not super friendly. And it's pretty good, I guess, to to have that point of difference of the brewery because at the end of the day, you know, in Australia at the moment, we've got 530-odd uh, breweries, many of, of whom are, I guess, like yourselves, where they're in a, a, either a regional centre or a tourist area, um, with, the, with the Mornington Peninsula, the Flurio Peninsula. I know there's, you know, half a dozen breweries that um, are on my list of, to, to visit this week. Um, so it must be... I guess difficult to ha to have that point of difference and and create something that's genuinely different because at the end of the day we're all making great beer we're all making a pale ale we've all got a, an entry level or a gateway beer um, how important is it to have that point of difference? I, I think it is really important to have a point of difference. I think the great beer is your definite first starting point and that's always been our focus is on yeah, great quality beer um, and we will throw out beer if if it's not up to our standards. Um, but yeah, having having the dogs, which is a bit different, and we're family friendly, and have a playground, and then the reservoir as well, um, makes it a really great day trip for people. Now, going back, we often ask uh, what we call uh, Pacey's poser, which is a long-time loyal listener who um, has asked us to ask people that we we chat to. If you wave the magic wand and go back, so what are we? Seven years we've been going now. Is there anything? I guess, um, markedly, that you would change if you if you had a second run at it? The drains and the floor in the brewery, which is probably a fairly common answer. <laughs> yeah, you don't understand just how important they are and, um, yeah, how much easier your life would be if the drains were in the right place um, and the floor sloped the right way. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what we'd go back and do, but it's just impossible once you've got all your equipment in there to go back and fix it, so you just have to live with it. Yep. Kate, room to expand or are you pretty much at physical capacity in terms of um, uh, cellar space? Uh, so 
we can increase our capacity. We, don't, we can't increase our tank space any more than we have without um, expanding into a separate building. Um, but, yeah, we can increase our capacity about 100% from where we are at the moment. Um, but we've, yeah, like I said, we've increased our um, production quite a lot in the past 12 months and, yeah, expecting that to keep going. So. And you're fortunate enough, you mentioned offline before, that... Um, you have is bore or an aquifer or bore water that you use? Yeah, it's a coral aquifer um, and we yeah, are lucky enough to have that, which um, provides us with some water security and um, also means we have total control of the water. So we have an RO filter that we use and then we add back salts depending on what beer we're um, trying to make. Okay, so that might, yeah, that would be the envy of a lot of breweries, I would think, to, to not have to rely on, on town water uh, or a reservoir or, or, or whatever it might be. So was that here when you got here or was that part of the development of the brewery? Um, no, the bore was, was on site. Um, it's been renovated, I guess you'd call it. You know, new pumps, yeah, for refurbished. Um, and, yeah, obviously new filters um, to, yeah get the water that we want but yeah amazing to just have that control of the water and not not be reliant on whatever's coming into the brewery on that day and hoping that it's somewhat the same as what it was when you last had it tested. Now the hardest question of all I guess five years time where's what's Smiling Samoyed doing what's different? Um, well hopefully making more beer than we are at the moment um, and you yeah, know I I'd be pretty happy if we're still in this building and we're just at our capacity. But when we when we get to that level, then we'll have a, a decision about whether we want to expand further. Um, but yeah, definitely still here. So Royal Adelaide, Royal Adelaide uh, Beer Awards champion small brewery. Yes. Will that change? Hopefully not. <laughs> Got to get our entry in for this year. Um, but yeah, and it's um, it's a great great way to benchmark your products and um, I really I really like that in Royal Beer and Cider Awards you are competing against the really large commercial breweries so we, um, West End puts their beers in and Coopers puts their, their beers in and yeah to to get our beers above those ones is pretty amazing. And are they, are they the only awards that you enter your beers into at the moment? At the moment they are. Um, we are just South Australian based in terms of our distribution so it doesn't make a lot of sense to us to send our beers further afield for competitions and you know, the main reason that we do competitions, winning awards is fantastic, but the main reason is to get good feedback and um, we get really good feedback from um, Adelaide Beer and Cider Awards so we got um, you know, the Best example of it was first year we entered, got feedback on our dark ale and we tweaked that and the next year um, with the tweaks that were guided by the feedback that they gave us, we took out most outstanding beer and show. So yeah, that's, um, that's what you want. You want to be making better beers and um, we hope that everyone who's entering is making better beers every year and making it harder for us. Yep. And so that's, yeah, I guess awards are kind of a two-pronged. Um, you want to, like you said benchmark yourself against the big guys but also against you know the little brewery that's a similar sort of size that's doing a similar sort of dark ale or a American style pale or whatever it might be but at the same time you're also wanting to benchmark against the beers that you've entered in previous years yeah absolutely yeah I didn't notice uh, like a big cabinet or anything where the awards are proudly on display is it not as important I guess to um, to let your customers or your guests know you know it's not a show-off sort of thing it's but it's just nice to know that 
you know, you are a champion brewery? Yeah, I know, it's, um, I guess, more subtle things. It's on the menu and um, they they are out there. They're, um, uh, they're mostly glass things, so they kind of blend in with everything else. Um, but I'll show them to you on the way out. Um, and, yeah, from our perspective, customers are generally more impressed with tasting the beers than they are with you showing them a trophy. And to be fair, for those who haven't been here, and I will post some photos in the in the show notes for this episode of Beer is a Conversation, um, it's pretty hard to find something on a shelf because <laughs> it's fair to say that um, it's a collector's dream in there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Where did all the, the bottles and cans and the, the memorabilia, did you bring them in or uh, how did they come about? Uh, they've come from all sorts of places. So um, a large proportion of the bottle collection is uh, one that we had at home before we moved down here. There was fortunately an empty cabinet and we quickly half-filled that with our collection from home, which was half taking up a room. Um, so it was nice to yeah be able to offload that. And then we've had people who have um, brought in their collections when they've been told that they have to clean out the back shed or whatever and all these cans that they've had forever, they want a nice home for them so they've ended up here um people have had yeah really wacky things like um an old ice chest thing um so before refrigerators and they've had it at home forever and they're like yeah i want to keep it but don't have the space and i want it to have a nice home so that's a cabinet that we keep plates and cutlery in now and it fits in perfectly um and then as we go on travels around the place as well we pick up things so we um we're lucky enough to do a trip to Canada and um, the US last year. Taste a lot of New England IPAs, um, but also picked up, of all things, a hockey puck um, with branding of one of the craft breweries on it, so that's in there as well. Kate Henning, I wish Smiling Samoyed all the very best. What you're doing out here is, is really terrific. You've got a beautiful space in which to do it. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the awards and um, Champion Brewery uh, accolades uh, speak for themselves. But um, Kate Henning, thank you very much for joining us on Beer is a Conversation. Lovely. Thank you for having me. Don't forget, if you like what we do here at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You'll find details in the show notes. We also thank our sponsors, Cry Malt, and also Rallings Labels. Brewers, if you are looking for an easier, more effective way to do smaller runs of labels, get in touch with Rallings. If you order printed cans, then you must order a minimum quantity of 60,000 plus. Sleeve cans look and feel just like printed cans, but with a smaller minimum order quantity. Labels on cans sometimes really miss the mark if you do not get your design right and can look cheap and unappealing, which means the punter can choose another beer over yours. Rallings labels, stickers and packaging supply fully sleeved and palletized cans ready to be filled. They will also print and hold the sleeves and supply in batches as needed for each brew to make cash flow and storage easy. Pay for the printing up front and then pay per can and application as needed. We thank Rallings for helping us with the resources we need to keep this podcast going. You can also review us on iTunes or whatever your favourite podcasting service happens to be. Let us know what you think and help others find and discover our shows. 
Finally, you can tell us what you think about what's going on in the beer industry by emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive in return, as by way of thanks, a Brews News bottle opener. And thanks to our very good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of great Australian beer. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because, as you may have heard, beer is a conversation. 